Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Give Button podcast, where we believe that charities desire to change the world, but struggle to get you involved. This podcast is all about exploring what's behind the give button so that your desire to change the world can find a trusted partner. On today's episode of Behind the Give Button, we have Mike Fishoff from Fight for Freedom with us today. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. We're so glad that you could join us today and tell us a bit about your organization and how you got involved. Yeah, so more than 15 years ago, I was working for something called the Scott Mission, and I was in charge of their camp department. So I saw tons of kids come to the program and worked with an amazing crew of staff to offer support to those kids uh, from different low-income communities across the GTA. And in my time working there, I came to know a young girl who I knew was dealing with something really serious, but had no idea what it was that was going on in her life. And so I began to build a relationship with another coworker, with this a young girl. She was 15 at the time. And it took her about a year of building deep relationship, of going out consistently and um, just chatting and getting to know each other that she finally shared her story. And essentially her story was that while in elementary school, she became sexually um, abused by a student teacher within the school setting. And then when she left that school and went to middle school, he would continue to abuse her before or after school. While she went to high school, he would actually sell her to his friends and make money off of her. She never saw a penny. It was completely by coercion and fear-based control, manipulation. Um, But she did it because she was afraid of the consequences of speaking up or of stopping what was happening. And I was blown away. I had never heard of a situation of trafficking happening in Canada. And this was back in 2008. And so I gathered a team of young people around and we together just offered support and help to her. And again, it took a long time, but we were able to get her into a safe house. We are able to get her through a good rehabilitation strategy and program and get her into a very well-functioning situation compared to what she was at before. And that was our first experience of working with somebody who was sex trafficked within the Canadian context. Previously, I'd experienced some levels of trafficking on different trips that I'd taken to different other countries. Like I had traveled to the Philippines and Thailand and India, and I'd seen trafficking firsthand, but I had never heard of it or seen it in Canada. So our young team also then began to research, well, what is being done to fight this injustice in North America, in Canada, and very little was being done in Canada, even then in 2008, but a lot was happening in America. So we began to gather some stats and some information and some help from colleagues and friends in America and uh, began to realize the importance of getting some key kind of stakeholders, some key community members as part of this um, effort just to discuss this issue. So this team began growing with different people discussing the problem uh, to the point where it got so large that people began saying, you know, why are we just uh, talking about individuals impacted by sex trafficking without actually going and looking for them? And that began our first outreach effort where we said, all right, let's, let's begin something to meet people where they're at, to begin to develop relationships. 
and to begin to offer supports for those that need it. And so, yeah, 2008 is when everything began and outreach started shortly after that and has grown quite exponentially over the years. Wow. So just to circle back to um, that interaction with that young girl, how did you get to a place of action and not just like being overwhelmed with the news? Because I know if I was in that situation, I would have kind of been like, oh my gosh, and would have probably like been very hesitant to get involved just because of the uncomfortable nature of it. So how did you get to that point of action and helping her and, you know, gathering a group of like-minded people? Yeah, great question. Um, as part of that that work uh, that we were previously involved in, um, we were helping people with various uh, forms of challenges within their own family settings. So we would work with um, domestic violence situations. We would work with um, criminality. Uh, and so it was, it was a, whatever situation a young person shared of their experience, we were there to help. And we would form different teams to be able to help on the different situations that came forward. But yes, that was the first one that we'd ever heard of trafficking. And I mean, our heart was just to help. I mean, how, how could you, yeah, I, I, I don't know how we could have not, uh, you know, hearing her story of victimization, we just, we were moved to action. And so when I just shared, you know, not the reality of her situation, but I shared, hey, you know, we need to create a task force to really research trafficking and come up with some strategies. There were as many young people who were ready to help. That is so encouraging to hear just that, uh, yeah, you were surrounded by the right environment of people and uh, were prepared in that way. Um, wow. <laughs> um, so of course, trafficking is like a very, a very uh, sensitive topic and it's, catches people off guard all the time. Um, but how did you come to have your role with Fight for Freedom? Give a little bit of a, a glimpse for the readers of what uh, Fight for Freedom is. Yeah, sure. Um, we just began, like I said, with that one person and helping them and then developing a larger team and beginning outreach. And so it all was very organic. It was just new, passionate young people saying, I wanna help. I want to make a difference. What can I do? And new kind of uh, different focus uh, became aware to us or, or uh, you know, we did the outreach and then we began having people saying we want to leave the industry or, you know, I am being trafficked and I want help. And so we developed uh, what we call a survivor care focus, you know, focusing on those who are ready to exit such situations. And then we realized that a preventative program would be really important. And so we developed an education arm to really begin to equip others with the knowledge and the understanding of the prevalence and the realities of this situation. Um, so again, it was all so organic. And uh, about seven years ago, we realized that this thing was taking off. You know, there were so many new young people across Canada who were contacting us, asking to start up something in um, Halifax, starting something in Montreal. And so we said, okay, maybe it's time to look at charitable status to really become a stronger entity and even to be able to apply for funds, et cetera. So uh, about seven years ago, we began the process of applying for charitable status um, and have been a charity for several years since, yeah. Wow. So you, you mentioned a few locations that um, Fight for Freedom is active in, but where would you say you are centrally located and have active 
um, efforts right now? Yeah, we have efforts across um, Canada, um, but we mostly have our, the majority of our work in the GTA, Ontario area, um, but we do have um, uh, interest even uh, this past week, we had some interest in Vancouver, uh, we've had interest in the past in Calgary. So. Um, where places express interest, we always research first. What's being done in the city? What is you know the current effort in combating this injustice? And where are the gaps? And then we maybe try to attempt to fill some of those gaps. We also have an effort in the Philippines. So one of our um, staff members just really felt passionate. To, uh, she's of Filipina descent, and she just felt to go back and to really fight trafficking um, from the Philippine context. And one of our other staff is very passionate about um, Chicago. And so again, it's not yet happening, but very soon. And so we're open for that. We're open for new locations, as long as we have the volunteer base, the staff personnel, and the research done beforehand before entering in. But our primary basis to begin every operation was Toronto, and then it kind of branched out from there. Fantastic. What's your role with Fight for Freedom? It sounds like you were one of the originals. So what role do you hold? Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm the current international director of Fight for Freedom. And so I help to oversee the effort uh, in the Philippines, in the American front, and then as well as across Canada. Um, and that involves vision, it involves strategic plans, it involves supporting the effort in multiple locations. Awesome. Um, and you've given a glimpse as well of the organization structure and the different efforts, but could you go a bit more into depth about the services that Fight for Freedom offers? Yeah, so today we have, now we've developed after all of these years, our four main arms of Fight for Freedom. The first arm is outreach. So we're reaching out into various locations where sex trafficking is happening. Um, tons of tons of different establishments have these forms of trafficking. We typically don't share what these locations are, but uh, yeah, just places where it happens, online included. Um, and so that's one main arm. The second arm would be the survivor care, like I mentioned, rehabilitation programming, exit strategies, housing, um, even sometimes basic life skills are sometimes needed, sometimes educational support for these individuals, and sometimes even, um, you know, uh, work opportunities. And so we assist with all of that in a, pan in a plan. And then the third arm would be our education. So our curriculum development, our speaking engagement platforms, uh, we have a, a research team that's researching trends and coming up with stats. And then we often engage in different campaigns for social media. Uh, just this past few months, we've been doing a Fostering for Freedom campaign, uh, looking at the link between the foster system and sex trafficking. And so that's a quite large component of what we do as well. And then finally, the fourth arm is partnerships. So we really believe in working in collaboration with others. We uh, don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to work with others. And so if there's something that we can um, work together for a particular survivor or for a particular outreach opportunity, then we will. Other agencies, other NGOs, and other establishments that would, would like to support. Wow. <laughs> um, and this may, you may or may not be able to answer this, but so the survivors that you are working with in your organization, are they actually the individuals that you're meeting on outreach? Are you um, 
yeah, directly helping them exit their situation, how do you kind of get into contact with the survivors you're working with if you can give a, a glimpse without, um, yeah, breaching any confidentiality or anything? Yeah, sure. What we find is that it takes about two to three years of doing outreach into a certain location before we begin to see the relationships established to a strong enough level that individuals begin to leave. And so if we're starting a brand new region, we generally know it will take about two to three years before we begin to see what we call survivors, people exiting. Um, about half of the current survivors that we are working with are those who have exited as a result of direct outreach. The other half are referrals from friends, from family, from um, law enforcement, from social service agencies that have identified individuals, heard about us, and then asked for support. So I would gather then that's why partnerships are such an important part of the organization as a whole, correct? Yeah, that's right. So that we are able to just work together to help individuals in need. What is your favorite part of your role? What makes you passionate about this cause and why have you stuck with it through all these years of building it from the ground up? Great question. A hard question. <laughs> I, I personally um, have very much loved working with uh, individuals impacted by trafficking myself. So journeying with those individuals in their exit strategies, though I don't get a lot of time for that because of my role and because of other responsibilities that required. Um, but just hearing the stories of the real lives that we are actually seeing transformation happen continues to inspire me, continues to fill me with that long-standing hope that this, this work is effective and that we are helping in an in a area that many don't understand still. Um, and another avenue, um, just seeing the, the development over all these years of where we started, just doing one small outreach area and developing into how many today and how many cities, how many even nations, seeing that growth has just been phenomenal. And then also just seeing some of the strategic plans, the vision that we have behind the organization and seeing those things come to pass. I mean, we've for so long been talking about preventative programming. And now we're actually doing it. You know, we for so long were talking about housing needs for survivors. And now we have great partnerships and plans to support individuals. Um, so the, those kind of things just excite me and keep me passionate about offering the help that we can. And so throughout the years, are you continually finding people that um, are also passionate about the cause? And uh, how has your team grown? Have you seen growth within your team? Yeah, absolutely. Our volunteer team has grown consistently every year. Our staff team has grown consistently every year. Um, and I think that's just a result of more and more people beginning to hear about the work that we're doing and similarly getting excited. What I love about the next generation, millennials, Gen Z in particular, <laughs> is that they are super passionate about social justice reform coming up with new vision about how to make our society look different. And so the majority of our volunteers and staff team are very young people that say, we want to create a new structure, a new system. We want to see it different. And so this generation inspires me 
And again, is another reason uh, why I love the work because we work with people who are super passionate. Have you found it hard to um, work in a space that I know my experiences is that uh, often the response I get from people when I tell them who I work for um, and what we're working towards is the shock that trafficking is happening in Canada and that it's a problem and that there's any need for an organization that's doing what you're doing. So how do you, um, how do you respond to those kinds of comments and how do you, yeah, get support from the people who seem to be very unaware that this is an issue? It's another great question. Um, Yeah, I, I think just being ready and willing to share about this at on everyday situations. So in my regular day in life, um, you know, we have a t-shirt that kind of promotes our work and I'll wear it quite frequently. And I'll have a lot of people coming and asking, what does your shirt mean? And then I'll begin to share the reality of trafficking within the Canadian context. And still to this day in 2020, I have very many people who are completely shocked. who have no idea that it happens in our backyard, that it is happening in every city in the GTA, specifically along the different highway corridors. And again, within Canada, and this is different than many other nations, but more than 95% of the cases are domestic, which means they are from within Canada. We have a very slim percentage of international cases, and that is very different than many other nations. So we are also unique in some ways regarding our our situation or reality of trafficking here in this nation. But knowing the stats and knowing the realities can help to then inspire someone to say, oh, wow, maybe I can help to fight this, whether it's through volunteering, whether it's through my time and attention or my funds, my finances to support. How bold of you to wear it, like literally wear (laughs) evidence of the work you do. And I mean bold in a good way. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, an interesting, but really cool way of raising awareness. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd be bold enough to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've hinted at, uh, it can bring people to action and, um, use their talents and what they they have available to offer to the cause. So let's ask that question. What's behind fight for freedom's give button? Yeah, another fantastic question. Um, the, yeah, we, um, like I mentioned, have these four arms that are a major part of where our finances go. So uh, we've got our outreach, where obviously um, the work that we do has costs associated. And so that outreach arm helps us to be able to continue offer those services where we can. The survivor care arm, it, we have a very large budget for our survivor care department. And so helping real people in real need for housing, for rehabilitation, for counseling, for life skills, for just groceries, maybe just clothing. This is a a real need that we have. And then again, the third arm education, helping us to get into new places, to speak at new locations. We've been invited recently to many university campuses and we know that they are a massive target for trafficking. So that excites us in the high schools where we also know that that is a target, especially within larger cities. So um, the funds help, the give helps to be able to fund these things. And then of course, all of our staff 
raise their own salaries. And so part of that give button, there are designations to the individual staff. So if there's a particular person that uh, anyone who's listening here may be aware of, may know of, then they're, they're welcome to join their financial team and become one of their supporters. Thank you. And I think that, um, yeah, a huge thing for this is the transparency and the idea that um, people really resonate with different avenues and some people identify with donating directly to the on the ground support and other people can really rally around covering those overhead fees of um, salaries. And um, so there is choice listeners. If you're listening, there is choice for where your money goes with fight for freedom. Um, and uh, yeah, money is spent very wisely with this organization. I have firsthand experience. <laughs> um, so I think we will end off with one question. Um, if you had a magic wand and could wish one wish for your organization um, for a future goal in five years, what would you have your organization achieve and look like? And what would your wish be? I thought long and hard about this question, knowing it was coming. And I don't have one, <laughs> I have two, and I have to share both if that's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. So for me, uh, there is a real need for housing still. Though we have partnerships, though we have others we can work with, I would love to see safe houses across Canada. Maybe one per province even. Places that people could go to for refuge, for support and rehabilitation. That's a huge passion of mine. And secondly, freedom businesses. I would love to see multiple businesses established in various industries, whether it's culinary, aesthetics, so that we're able to employ survivors and give them real work-life opportunities to be able to help them get their uh, life together again in a new way. Um, so those are some of the, 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 in some ways I feel long-term vision, but if I had a magic one, yes five years, safe houses across Canada, and freedom businesses all over the place. And what would need to be in place for those goals to be achieved? What are you, what is the organization waiting on um, kind of as that push to get them in action and on the ground running with the projects? Great. I think for both, it's venues. Um, you know, well, one is, is the finances. If we had enough finances, we could purchase our own venue and create a freedom business or buy a house to become a safe house. But uh, other than that, it would be someone saying, hey, I have actually this business and I don't mind a Saturday uh, once a month if you used it for something like a freedom business. Or if somebody said, hey, I have a cottage that is rarely used. What if for three months a year, you were able to use it as a safe house. These ways that people could actually help to support bigger than just finances, but in helping to establish a long-term, our long-term goal to become more reality. Oh, fantastic. And what uh, unique ways for people to get involved. But, you know, who knows, maybe that uh, that listener with with the empty cottage or the the business close one day a week, um, maybe that resonates with them and they have a spot. So it's great to speak into the air. <laughs> who knows what can happen, right? Um, so thank you so much, Mike, for your time and for the um, the 
preparation you put into this interview. And I thank you so much for the time that you've invested. And I hope that, you know, we have listeners that really resonate and maybe this is the first time they've heard about trafficking and they will Google fight for freedom and uh, get involved. And I hope, <laughs> I hope it hits at least one listener. So thank you very much for your time. No, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Well, that wraps up another episode of Behind the Give Button podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the links to get more involved with Fight for Freedom on our website at BehindTheGiveButton.com. Follow us on social media. We're active on Instagram and Facebook, and we would love if you'd leave us a review on wherever you're streaming from today. We are taking a break for the Christmas season, so this is the last episode of 2020. We will see you back in January with our awesome lineup of new organizations to feature, so we'll see you then. We hope you have a safe and happy holiday days.